Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy and here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only with a new shirt, Jerry Springer. <laughs> yeah, you. you may want to turn your uh, cameras on. I mean, click on a picture of me in my new shirt because that's uh, no every fancy. year. I, every year I get a new shirt. People are already starting to wonder what my shirt will be next year. (laughs) The buzz is happening. Hey, by the way, we're going to have Jake Dunn with us later on. Jake Dunn and the Blackbirds uh, from Meigs County, Ohio, uh, northern part of Ohio. And we're looking forward to that. Uh, And uh, in a minute, we're going to talk about we're all going back to high school in a few minutes. Before we do that, though, and this is really the heart of the podcast. We call it Jerry's rant, and uh, he always works up some wonderful analysis of something going on. And Jerry, look, everybody is talking about (laughs) everybody, Republicans, Democrats, independents, the situation in Afghanistan and what some are calling a, a clumsy departure. I don't know. What's your take on Afghanistan? Well, The images we saw on the news a few days ago and continue to see of an American military plane lifting off the runway in Kabul with uh, Afghan citizens running alongside on the tarmac, some literally holding on to the underside of the plane, trying to escape the Taliban as our troops were leaving. It all seemed to be a replay, a replay of the iconic pictures we saw some 46 years ago of American helicopters lifting off the rooftops of our embassy in Saigon with South Vietnamese citizens holding on for dear life, trying to escape the invading Viet Cong. Neither site, not the retreat from Vietnam or our current abandonment of Afghanistan, proved to be our finest hour. And the criticisms that both these chaotic withdrawals have and will inevitably invite are perhaps somewhat justified. That is not to say the decision to get out, whether it was Vietnam or Afghanistan, that the decision itself was wrong. It wasn't. It was and is the right thing to do, even admitting the humiliation and messiness in its execution. But to be honest, it shouldn't be that surprising. We haven't won a war that lasted more than two weeks since 1945. And yet, How can that be? Aren't we the strongest nation in the world? Don't we have the planet's most powerful military and weaponry? And the answer is, of course we do, by far. Any country that attacked us would be wiped out immediately. Indeed, since the fall of communism in 1991, the United States stands as the world's sole superpower. Then what explains our total inability to win these highly controversial halfway around the world wars against what seem to be third world countries? I see several reasons. First, we failed in these wars because our stated reason for being there was faulty. Vietnam was faulty from the beginning because we knew going in, or should have known, that the only way we could win that war was by staying there forever because whenever we would leave, 
be it after 10 years or after 30 years. Whenever we left, South Vietnam would turn communist because it was literally in the backyard of China and the Soviet Union. These communist powers would never permit anything else. So knowing that, that that was inevitable, that was the inevitable result. What was the purpose of having our young men and women continue to be killed? After all, we already had lost 58,000 in this war that groped for justification and never found any. And then of course, Afghanistan. Over two decades became a war justified by a faulty premise as well. We've been saying for some time now that we're there to train Afghans to protect themselves, to fight off the Taliban. Really? Other than showing them and supplying them with the technology of modern warfare, how are we going to teach them to fight? For generations now, they successfully have fought off the British, then the Russians, and now us. They may be among the world's best guerrilla fighters. What are we going to teach them? Which brings us to the next reason we lose these wars. We want to be there more than these countries want us there. These countries don't share our culture, in most cases our religions, and most significantly they know that siding with us against terrorists in their own country is a risky proposition because, of the, because if the war becomes too expensive, takes too long, results in too many American casualties, and suddenly we Americans lose interest and patience and find other priorities, they know that we're gonna leave. So it's a risky bet to stick with us because when we eventually do leave, which we always do, they're left behind to face the wrath of the Taliban, the Viet Cong, or whatever, or whoever it was that they were joining us in killing. When we're gone, they and their families will be rounded up, jailed, tortured, and killed off for being traitors to their land. You see, all our military might doesn't change that political reality. The other side doesn't quit and doesn't leave. They live there. That is their home. The truth is, they have a lot more to fight for than we do. For us, it's a year or two deployment and we can't wait to get home. For them, it's survival. It's a simple concept, a simple truth yet we sure seem to have a lot of trouble understanding it. A strong military can defend a nation. It can't build one. Afghanistan is merely the latest example. Excellent, Jerry. Yeah, really Thank good. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for that. Hey, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, tonight uh, I, we're going to go back to high school because here is something and Megan, you and I talked earlier in the day, and actually, and Jerry, you and I did as well. We can all relate to this. High schools usually have yearbooks. So for all of our listeners, think back to your high school yearbook. Typically, somewhere in that yearbook, if they were done well, and the case we're going to talk about today was actually uh, is guided, was guided by a high school educator who was a former journalist. 
I worked in high school journalism in my own career uh, in a past life. So I understand this, that if you can get a journalist to put together the school paper or the yearbook, you've got your best shot of having something with standards and kids knowing how to double source and to be responsible and how they gather facts, balance things, et cetera. So the case we're going to talk about is in a little place in Arkansas called Bigelow High School in a town called Bigelow, Arkansas, which is in Perry County. It's a very small school district that has K through 12, 600 plus kids. The high school level and their organization is seven through 12. There's 300 plus kids. The senior class is probably, I don't know, 50, 70 kids large. And typically in the yearbook, they'll have a section that will put into a time context your senior year. So if you were around, man, way back in the day, JFK got killed, what, uh, assassinated in 62, I guess? 63. So if you were in high school at that time, your senior year, that would be in the yearbook. And so Bigelow High School had a section in journalism, we call it a double truck. A double truck is two pages that are side by side. If you close the yearbook, they'd be facing each other. But when you open it, it can span a double width of an open book. And they chose a theme for their double truck to set their senior year of 2021 into a time context. And they called it, I love this, the Roaring Twenties. And in the Roaring Twenties double truck of the yearbook, they simply put the huge events of the year's first 20 and then leading in January to 21 up until June when the kids graduated. Things like this. I'm going to tick them off and you tell me if they sound familiar. COVID-19, remote learning, uh, the murder of George Floyd in the spawning of the Black Lives Matter movement, the killing of Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, uh, the very tumultuous uh, a national election when the loser claimed that he won, i.e. Donald Trump, yeah. the January 6th insurrection that followed that. So they simply put the Roaring Twenties double truck in the yearbook. The yearbook got published now, I'm not there. I did call the school today and they did not return my call. I would, wanted to know when did the school system decide to do what they then did, because here's what they did. The yearbook went out. The way yearbooks work is, and by the way, they're pretty expensive these days, uh, Jerry and Megan, like 65 yeah. bucks for this yearbook. So typically kids and families will prepay. The kids who run down to the yearbook office on the last day of school, and say, can I pick up my yearbook? They'll check the list and hand you your yearbook. So X number of kids got their yearbooks right away. They went home with the book in its original form. Somewhere along the way, the district decided that they had to kill that double truck. They stopped the distribution of the yearbooks. Usually they're mailed out through the summer for the largest bulk of the kids. And somebody, Jerry and Megan, I don't know if it was, a, if it was an administrator or a secretary, <laughs> I don't know who did it, but they directed them to open the book and by hand tear out the two pages. 
So imagine this, your, your book comes yeah. to the mail and you open it up and there's a <laughs> jagged, jagged edge, you know, somewhere They ripped out the pages they it's didn't just like. Not like, I don't not know. Like they, yeah, not like they covered their tracks or used an exacto knife or something. Nothing really to see fun. here. Yeah. Nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. to see. So the ass hit the fan, oh, particularly from the student who was responsible for the double truck and the teacher who was a former journalist and now English teacher slash journalist and teacher. And they, when they went to the principal and the district to the East end school district and the superintendent, they say were given the answer. There was a backlash and therefore we removed the pages, a backlash too. Can we all agree? Facts. F-A-C-T-S. This is the this is the critical race theory argument. The whole thing that there, there are people in this country that don't want their kids to know the truth the about truth. what happened in our country. All right. So now, Megan, you know how you called me one day and said, "I think there's a ghost in my house," and then I said, "Who are you going to call?" And you said, "Ghostbusters." You remember that, <laughs> Megan? So now I'll go ahead now, and say yes, but yeah, go ahead and say yes. Play along. So if you're a high school journalism educator or a kid Mm -hmm. and they're messing with your rights, you don't call Ghostbusters. Here's who you call. You call the Student Press Law Center located in Washington, D.C., been around since the 70s. They're a nonprofit. They've got all these. Jerry, as a lawyer yourself, you'll appreciate this. I got all these lawyers who volunteer and say, oh, you get a case like this one in Arkansas? I'll call me. I'd love to go after that. So they then they hire an executive director. And we have with us tonight Hagar Harris, who is the exe- an attorney herself, great credentials, UCLA Law School, I think Brown University undergraduate. Mm-hmm. Uh, she worked with the Innocence Project in Northern California. She's a human rights attorney and a nonprofit uh, aficionado. Wow. And so now let's bring in Hadar Harris. And thank you, Hadar, for very much for agreeing to be with us. Thank you. Take, pick up the story. Did somebody call you from Arkansas? What happened? Well, so thanks for having me on. I mean, it's really a thrill to be here. And, and what a great introduction that was. Um, you know, I couldn't have told that story better myself. Um, and it's quite a story. You know, SPLC has been around since 1974. I've been with the organization almost four years. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, the way that this came onto our radar screen was we have a free legal hotline. And it is open to student journalists and to the educators that work with them at both the high school and the college level. And we got a phone call. Um, and a student journalist who worked on the yearbook staff, called us and said, I think this might not be okay. Is this okay <laughs> that they did this? And, great. you know, and I think that the very fact that she asked it kind of that way also gives you a sense of sort of power differentials in school and the, the student journalist who knows yeah. that, you know, this is not right. And so um, our senior legal counsel, Mike Easton, took the call, started working with the student and assured her that it was really not okay that this happened. And so we did a little bit of investigation as you've done a lot of investigation here to hear this story. And as the facts continue to come out, it just got kind of crazier and crazier. Hmm. 
the bottom line of the story is that the school district removed those two pages that laid out the facts of the year, of the school year, the big events that happened, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the death of Alex Trebek, okay, the rollout of the vaccine, Um, you know, many, many different facts of what happened over the course of the year. And they decided that this was not appropriate and they took it out. Now, not only were the students really upset by this, but the really valiant and heroic teacher who was the advisor of the yearbook staff had a really negative interaction with the authorities in the school district, which led her over this case of censorship to resign her job. So she'd been at the school for a couple of years, was very well liked, very well respected. Um, and she, over a point of principle, said, I can't continue here with this kind of censorship. Oh, wow. um, so, so Megan Walton is her name. And, um, you know, it's not just ripping pages out of a yearbook. No. Um, what we're talking about is ripping facts out, trying to censor student work, trying to censor their voice, leading to the resignation of a teacher who, by all accounts, was a, a great teacher and a great advisor to these students. So it's bigger than just a couple of pages ripped out of the yearbook. What, what is happening now? In other words, what is the response now? I mean, well, I, I would think at least we get a copy of those pages and literally mail it to every student's household so they mm-hmm. get to see it. You know? So don't you think great minds think alike, Jerry? We yeah. actually um, sent a letter to uh, Superintendent Heidi Wilson, who is the yep. superintendent of the East End School District asking her to do just that. Um, We pointed out in our letter, which is available on our website, you can see it, it's transparent at www.splc.org. We laid out the idea that, you know, there doesn't seem to be any community backlash. They use that as the excuse that they needed to take these pages out. And in fact, two different Freedom of Information Act requests for any evidence of that community backlash issued to the superintendent's office came up with nothing. She responded to both requests um, for public records by saying that after an extensive search of all of their materials, there was nothing that was responsive to um, you know, give us evidence of what kind of community backlash actually happened. So we sent a letter to her, we said, Um, you know, that we really believe that, um, you know, this was unlawful and unjust and that there needs to be some sort of remedy involved. But what's the best remedy? Obviously, you know, you can't really make the students whole again after something like this happens. But we've asked her by September 15th to reprint the two pages that were taken out of the yearbook in color and to have a written formal apology both to the students and to the, um, the advisor who resigned her position, acknowledging that the t- pages were taken out um, you know, wrongfully and to support the idea that student journalism is important. Hadarby, so we're, uh, we're waiting. We haven't heard from her. We, okay. we issued the letter a couple of weeks ago. We um, have not heard back. There have been lots of people trying to get in touch with her and um, we would welcome an opportunity to have a conversation with her, to engage in dialogue, to really understand what led them to take these pages out 
and to really talk about why student journalism is important and where the First Amendment falls Mm -hmm. in all of this. Is there a response from the local media? In other words, I would think around the rallying cry of a free journalism uh, that the local newspaper would print a two-page fold-out in color that the local TV stations would jump on. I mean, this seems to be a cause that, wow, journalism should be behind as you are. Well, you know, one of the great things about this is, is, you know, in trying to take these pages out and make them disappear, they have made these pages worldwide famous. Yeah. Right. Censorship (laughs) in the era of the internet is really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So you can see the pages on our website. You can see the pages on NPR's website. You can see the pages through AP because they just put a story out um, through the Associated Press. And you can see the story in the in the Arkansas newspapers and TV. Um, they have taken it up. And, you know, this just continues to kind of get bigger as we've had no response from the school district. And by the way, you can see them uh, at the top of our website, jerryspringer.com. We put them up this morning. By the Fantastic. way, with legal pressure... Uh, Hadar, can you mount to get them to do what you're asking, to send out, you know, color copies of it, to issue an apology, rehire the teacher, whatever it may be. Can you, do you have the law on your side to make them do anything? Well, it's a little bit complicated because Arkansas is one of 14 states in the country that has a student press, um, you know, publications act that protects the rights of student journalists. Yeah. um, So there is a law in place that does support the rights of student journalists, but that law needs to be strengthened. There are no direct remedies in that law. So the intention of the legislature was to protect student journalism. Um, Clearly, that's not happening right now in this situation. Um, And one of the things that could happen as a result of this whole story is that we're able to actually go back to the legislature and say, hey, your intention was to protect the rights of student journalists. You made that really clear. And now we need to take it a little step further so that they actually have a remedy in a situation as egregious as this, so that the law can truly support the students. Is, is this, could, this question could be based on my own biases, but I can't imagine that someone would have ripped it out because they mentioned... Uh, Trayback's uh, passing. Uh, I, 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 they might not really have liked Jeopardy. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's a pretty know. controversial show. Now it's yeah. controversial, right? <laughs> yeah, I got to think it all goes to George Floyd, uh, Trump losing. That you know, that's what my mind goes to. Now, I, can I prove it? No, unless we can find out who was the one that ripped it out. And, uh, you know, was it the chairman of the Republican Party? I don't know. I mean, I'm making that up. But it's hard not to believe there was some real political bias going on here. Well, let me tell you, one of the things that that we from from our organizationals from from our organization's perspective, we can kind of see trends across the country. We're very concerned about the fact that many yearbooks this year not just this yearbook, but many yearbooks this year have actually been censored or there's been some reason as to why they haven't been distributed. Nobody's ripped the pages out in the way that this happened. Yeah. But in Broward County, Florida, 
they stopped distribution of the yearbook because of the coverage of Black Lives Matter. Wow. And uh, after a lot of community outcry, they actually redistributed them again. Um, you know, after that sort of came to light that that what was what was happening, we issued a statement with some national journalism education organizations in in the spring, because we were very concerned that the experiences of um, people of color and black and brown students and black lives matter in particular was being edited out and was being censored um, from yearbooks in particular this year. Is there um, it's something we continue to be very concerned about? Is there a black population in the school or and or a black population in the community? Small. Mm. Yeah. By the way, um, it turns out that when schools try to do this, uh, Hadar, you and I talked earlier about this, and I think we agree that it's so. Uh, I can't think of another word to use than it's so stupid as a strategy <laughs> on, on the part of the school officials. And here's why. When they do this, there is often, and maybe it's usually, and Hadar, you may know this, they'll make a call to this hotline. And then once you call Ghostbusters, look out because they are going to tell kids strategies that are both legal and public relations. And when you, and so here's the point, at the end of the day, that double truck is going to be seen. It's on the Jerry Springer podcast website, for God's sake, not to mention the AP and these other heavy hitters. It's everywhere. And so you thought you could stop it and you didn't. So you didn't even achieve your objective. And I would tell these educators as a fellow educator, I mean, I've taught in grad schools of education and I worked a whole career in urban uh, with an urban school district, Cincinnati Public School. I am here to tell you this strategy doesn't work. You would do better to allow kids to learn how to do journalism and go to J schools around the country and get good jobs, whether it's now in clever social media, citizen journalism stuff, or traditional legacy media, it doesn't work. Am I right, Hadar? You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, it, it, if anything, it inflamed it and, and, you know, happily we're having this discussion. Um, but, you know, we but believe how strongly- many are out there that, that aren't having right. this discussion and these kids that are silenced and they're, you know, I, I worked on our school paper. I worked on my, you know, my yearbook and I did so in college as well. And like, when, how many times is this going on? And like, Jean, to your point, like it's, 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 it's ingrained in there and we have to move on past, past, um, all of the stuff, but this, this, uh, it's frustrating to hear. Sorry. And, and when you inculcate a culture like this, that it's not going to pass muster or somebody's going to rip the pages out of the book. Yep. Then you also start to censor yourself. Yep. Mm. There's a lot of self-censorship that goes. Oh, on. sure. When we're teaching kids, we want them to be crit, except for my kids who I don't want to be super critical thinkers. <laughs> I actually do want them to be, but, but I say to them, you know, all the time, like, you know, I'm an expert at fighting torture, but that means I know a lot about it. It's not effective me. and it doesn't yeah. work and I don't do it on my children, yeah. but 
we want to, <laughs> we want to teach kids to be critical thinkers. We want to teach them to be in engaged citizens of our communities, right? And that's part of what journalism does. We want them to ask hard questions and demand accountability. That's what journalism does. Yeah. And that's what schools should do. The Supreme Court this summer in this case about a cheerleader who used a curse word uh, that you might've heard about that we could talk about another time, um, but said that schools are nurseries of democracy. We love that because yeah. they are and they should be and supporting and promoting journalism and reporting on facts and a factual timeline of what actually happened over the course of the year is something that should be held up and celebrated, not something that should be ripped out of the book. Yep. And going back um, to that support too, like the woman who was supporting them quit her job. And I know right? from, from our perspective, like having that support, that's difficult to find. So when your support system is silenced. Right. As a student, where do you go yeah. from there? Then that's when you internalize it. And my message is yeah. worth it. And I'll say that that's why, that's why we exist. We exist yep. to work with the students. And one of the things that, you know, now the beginning of the school year, we actually just launched a back to school page that says, you as an advisor need to talk with your students about the fact that if anything happens, they are the ones that need to step up and step forward as yep. the student who called us did. Yep. Because the advisor, the teacher is employed by the school district and they may not be able to step forward for their students. Well, that's a good point. How can, as people as, help, <clears throat> how can people help your organization? Well, you can go on to www.splc.org. We are the Student Press Law Center. Okay. Um, and there are many different resources there. If you're a student journalist, if you're an advisor, if you're an administrator that wants to learn more, we are happy to talk with you um, and Good. to think about ways we can do that. You can obviously always make a contribution and a donation. We take volunteer attorneys we'll who work that. with us. Yep. And, um, and we have a very active movement to try to pass state-based legislation to help protect students' First Amendment rights. Hadal, here's one, one other thing I'd, I'd like to add and, and offer, and uh, I, I doubt that this is, is even going to happen, but I'll put it out there. I would love to serve on your board. If there's ever an opening and you're looking for a retired journalism educator who's been in these trenches yep. and fought this stuff, call me. I'd Gene, we just had that. a governance committee meeting this afternoon, so uh, we'll be in touch. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely do. Because Gene honestly led the fight. He won't tell you, but he led the fight in Cincinnati on exactly, exactly that kind of a case uh, with the schools. And uh, it became a, a very big issue in the city. So, yeah, he, he'd be great. I, I'm, I'm thinking of my yearbook. I graduated in 1961. Forest Hills High School, and we had a of, of the events that happened that year. Right. But I'm embarrassed to say that my only protest, I didn't like my picture. You know, <laughs> nobody does. Nobody yeah. does. You yeah, know, that's because it was of you, sweetheart. It was picture to put in that yearbook. It was of you, and yeah. you can't change that. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Megan. He, he wanted. He wanted, you know, like a contact sheet where he could pick the one, you know. Pick like one. Four, four <laughs> you know what? I mean, I don't know if you were wearing a shirt like that one, Jerry, but, you know. <laughs> there you go, Jerry. Shirts now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, thank you very great much. Having you are. Great It was great to be here. Thank you wonderful. so, yeah, so we, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Absolutely. Good. Look forward to staying uh, in touch. I'm sure there will be more stories that come up this deal. year. I hope not, but uh, Sounds good. thank you so much for having me. All right. Sure. Yeah. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Thanks, Hadar. All right, Megan, over to you. All right. Again, thanks to Hadara. And now we have with us this evening, Jake Dunn. Hey, Jake, how's it hey, going? Jake. Hello, I'm very well. Hey, yes. So happy to be here. <laughs> good. Well, listen, we um, we had a very involved conversation with Hadar, and we want to bring you back um, next week so we can learn a little bit more about yeah. you Absolutely. and your music, if that's cool with you. Of course. <laughs> so right. in order to kind of intro you this evening, um, your song that is going to be played for us is called Broken, correct? That is correct, yeah. All right, so tell us um, a little bit about this song, and then we'll go into that. And like I said, we'll catch up with you yeah. next week and get down and dirty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, briefly, it's uh, it's just about sort of the attitude of, of, you know, it's interesting, the subject matter we were talking about, the events of this these past couple of years, uh, sort of a lot to do with what this song is inspired by. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on and have been going on to allow yourself to be brought way down. And mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy to let things that you see and read just kind of dig, your, dig yourself in a hole and get sucked in by them. Uh, and, and I think that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, people being so hateful towards each other. You know, we see these things, we read these things, but then you go encounter with your neighbor and it's just a person, you know, who you, you don't know. Just a person. Just a person. Yeah. But, but, yeah. you know, you've let these feelings bring you down so much that, that, you know, it changes you. So uh, that's kind of what this song's about. It's saying, you know, there are, there's a lot better ways to channel that energy and do something good rather than just letting yourself get broken, basically. Cool. So. This is Broken by Jake Dunn. Great. The Blackbirds. Yes.
Thank you, Jake. Thank you. Yes, sir. I was going to ask Jake real quick. Uh, where can we can where we can hear some more of his music? Jake, you got websites. What you got? Yeah, yeah. We're on all the social media stuff. Our uh, our website is called jdblackbirds.com, uh, which we have a ton of goodies on there for people to check out. On, uh, but Facebook, of course, just Jake Dunn and the Blackbirds, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. Very cool. Thank you. So Great, what's Jake. that, Gene? What you got? Casey Campbell. Our own yeah. Casey Campbell, our music coordinator, we will take him. us out on Down by the Riverside. Down by the Riverside. Well, I'm going to lay down my heavy load Down by the Riverside Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield. 